All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, it is Thursday, so that means we are digging deeper into the Psalms. This week, we're looking at Psalms 79 and 80 with this idea of the history of destruction, but also restoration. And so we see these two Psalms being mirror images of each other. As 79 talks about the destruction that has happened to Judah and Jerusalem, whereas 80 talks about the prayers for God to restore his people. So we're going to look right into it. Both psalms are psalms of Asaph, which is we get right into it. This is not the same Asaph that was the Asaph during the time of David. This is probably either a descendant of David or a member of the school of Asaph, people who had gone on to take his role as a psalmist and continue down through the generations. Because what is talked about here has to be the Babylonian captivity. And we'll get into that right away. So Psalm 79, a psalm of Asaph. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beast of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before your eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. So far, Psalm 79. As we look at this, at the very beginning, we see the nations, primarily Babylon, have conquered Jerusalem. Again, we talked about a moment ago that this is probably a descendant of Asaph or a member of the school of Asaph, those who copied his style down from generation to generation. So we have this great scene here where they have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. There's only two times in the history of the Israelite people where this happens. This is the Babylonian captivity or when Titus conquers Jerusalem in 70 AD. And seeing that this psalm goes all the way back in the Psalter before the days of Jesus, This has definitely got to be Babylon. So this is one of those exilic psalms that talks about life in the exile. It talks about how horrible it is. Verse 3 talks about they have poured out their blood like water around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. 
This brings to mind the story of Tobit. Although Tobit is from the northern tribes, from the tribe of Naphtali, if I remember right, he is known throughout the first chapter or two of the story called by his name to be one who goes and buries the Israelites who have been killed among the Assyrians. There is no Tobit around Jerusalem to take care of all the dead bodies. Everybody has been scattered. And so this is the scene. But that's not even the worst of it. Verse 4, we have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. The surrounding nations mock Israel and Judah as they are being destroyed. This is most easily seen in Obadiah verses 10 through 14 and Ezekiel chapter 25. From the prophet Obadiah, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Obadiah is talking to Edom and their joy in Jerusalem being destroyed. They're rejoicing that the thorn in their side was finally gone. Because Edom, for a lot of the history of from Solomon on, was paying tribute to Israel and to Judah. Ezekiel 25, verses 12 through 14, Thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast. And I will make it desolate from Teman even to Dedan that shall fall by the sword. And I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. And they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath. And they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord God. Edom was the main one mocking and deriding Judah as Jerusalem fell. Not being part of the Babylonian takeover, because they would likely be next on the chopping block. But enjoying the fact that Jerusalem has finally fallen. The great power that had been David's is now finally taken care of. In reaction to this, the psalmist cries out in verses 5 through 7 to pour out God's wrath upon the people who do not call upon his name, who do not believe in him. To destroy them all, wipe them all out. Because that's what they deserve for not having faith. But he also understands in verse 8 to not let that be for everyone on the earth but let the people who are from the people of God be spared because it is not just the sins of the forefathers that we are against but we ourselves in the present generation in the Babylonian captivity but even in 2022 are doing the same sins 
as previous generations. They just get a little more hype in media coverage because we have all the great technology that brings all this to us very speedily all around the world. He says, let your compassion come speedily to meet us. Those who believe in you, be compassionate towards. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Here is the issue people have. Who is to make atonement? Isn't it God that has been wronged and offended by our sins? Why should he atone for our sins? But that's exactly the point. Asaph, whichever Asaph this might be, whichever descendant, understands that there will be the Messiah that comes who will be the one who makes atonement. He might not understand whether that is a perfect sacrifice that he makes of an animal according to the Levitical law or if it's, in fact, the sacrifice of himself, as we'll see in Isaiah 53 with the suffering servant. Only God can make atonement for the sins of mankind because mankind can never fully make that atonement for ourselves. And so verse 13, we end up, But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. This phrase, this, the sheep of your pasture, is repeated throughout the psalm. Especially we know it from Psalm 95 as the venite in the matin service. That we are the people of your pasture, the sheep of your hand. We are the beloved even though everything we know has been put into shambles, we are still the beloved of the Lord. And this is a very faithful psalm that brings out the fact that we can still have faith in God's compassion and mercy toward us who believe in him, even in the midst of the disaster that comes about by the evildoers. The Israelites, the people from Jerusalem, could completely agree and understand that God was working for them. Even when their homes were destroyed, the temple is laid waste and there is nothing left upon it, not one stone atop of the other, but completely raised to the ground. We can still give thanks. Because... Ultimately, it is not the accumulation of material things that brings us joy and brings us everlasting life. It is the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. His mercies that never come to an end, that are new every morning, as Jeremiah around the same time will say in Lamentations. This is the faith that knows that Regardless of what happens to us, nothing separates us from the love of God. Especially when we believe that God is here to forgive us of our sins.
because those are the things that separate us from God, is our sins. But God is a forgiving God, and he delights in his people coming to him in repentance. Jerusalem wouldn't do it. That's why it was destroyed. But as we flip over to Psalm 80 now, we see the people of Jerusalem, the people exiled in Babylon, understanding and starting to understand especially the mercy of God and the idea that maybe, maybe he might deliver us and bring us back into the land that he had promised to our forefathers for all generations. So let's look at Psalm 80. To the choir master according to lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You have made us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. Let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. So far, Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David said those words. Asaph here is bringing those words back to our thoughts. And it says, before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Ephraim is the typical name in the prophets and in the Psalms for the northern kingdom. Benjamin is the other tribe alongside Judah that remained faithful to the house of David. So we have both Israel and Judah, all of God's people, all 12 tribes named here in these three, for God to stir up his might and come and save us. Verse 3 is repeated again in 7 and 19 as a refrain through this psalm, using different titles for God in each one. But it's the same thing. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The fulfillment of the Aaronic benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is how God wanted the priest to put his name on the people. His name being on them meant their salvation. 
They are being called by his name, made them to be known as people who were his in his great heritage. But, being in the Babylonian captivity, they have been fed with the bread of tears and been given tears to drink in full measure. This goes back to Psalm 42. It'll come up again in Psalm 102. And we find similar imagery of the bread of contention, the bread of strife, the bread of adversity, and the being given tears to drink in Isaiah 30, verse 10, and all throughout Canaanite liturgy and literature. And then we move to verses 8 through 13, a quick poetic history of the people of Israel from the Exodus up until the Babylonian captivity. That vine brought out of Egypt, that he drove out the nations to plant it, and they filled the land. They did what they were supposed to do. Not completely, not perfectly, but they did what they were supposed to do in filling the land. But you have broken down its walls. Who destroyed Jerusalem? Well, yes, in an earthly sense, Babylon did. But in a true sense, God broke down the walls. God broke down every barrier that brought them from their security into his judgment. And now the boar from the forest ravages it. The wild animals from all around are there trampling what was at one time the great inheritance of God's people. And so then verses 14 through 18 is a call for God to reestablish Israel as a people with her own government. Put a son of David back on the throne. The son whom you made strong for yourself is the son of David, is the one promised Messiah who is to be the leader of Israel, to bring them back into the fold of God. Verse 17 again. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Who is the man who sits at God's right hand? That's Jesus. That is where he went when he ascended off the Mount of Olives to wait until the time where he comes back to judge the living and the dead. He sits at God's right hand, interceding for you and for me bringing about that restoration that the psalmist asked for, bringing about the joy of once again being known as God's people. So we see the entire pendulum swing in Psalms 79 and 80 as we have the destruction of Jerusalem as the low point and the high point being the promise of a restoration, the calling for that promise to come to fulfillment. They thought it would happen after the 70 years of Babylonian captivity when Ezra and Nehemiah brought the people back. But it wasn't quite time yet. They thought it might be when John the baptizer was baptizing people in the Jordan River. It was not quite time yet. They thought that it might be coming when Jesus was walking on the earth. And it came But only those who looked with the eyes of faith could see it. Only they could see 
the joy being brought back to us by a man who, by all accounts from the outside, was executed as a criminal of the Roman Empire. But for you and me, he is the crucified Savior who three days later rose again from the dead to live forever and to open the gates of heaven so that you and I might be able to live with him forever. Sin has destroyed our lives, but Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has restored life to us, true life, life with God, so that we might enjoy the great benefits that he has for us. All right, that's Psalm 79 and 80 this week. I thank you for being here and digging deeper with me into these psalms, seeing the great joy that is ours because we listen to Christ. We call upon his name in every trouble. We pray, praise, and give thanks. And that helps us to wrestle with the theologies around us so that we might see and be Christ to the world. Amen.